Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. How many people will it take? How many people indeed? So, you know, the U.S. Census, you know, just on the face of things or maybe just given its reputation, it might seem like a pretty unsexy topic, right? There's something kind of implicitly boring about the idea of the census. You're just asking people who they are, where they live, basic details of their lives, getting that done down in the most factual and ideally colorless way. Um Although when you and, and the notion of like being a census taker, you know, is like that seems almost synonymous with kind of a dull job. Although when you think about it, it's the opposite of that, probably, because if you are a census taker, that means the people that you're looking for are the people who didn't respond to the written questionnaire, which, by the way, people increasingly don't do because the written questionnaire looks like the kind of stuff that they throw into their recycling bins. And it looks like just junk mail to them. They don't fill out the form, which is what you should do, by the way. You should fill out your census reform when it comes in 2020. Uh, and then uh, they it's not possible to reach them by phone. By the way, that's harder and harder to do because people don't have landlines that are connected to specific addresses. So you have to go looking for these people. And the people that you're going to go looking for are sometimes pretty unusual, pretty hard to find, uh, maybe in a pretty complicated neighborhood whose demographics and, and you know people living at specific addresses is kind of a murky area. So the kind of person you might find, well, it might be the kind of person that Saturday Night Live highlighted, highlighted in this Christopher Walken sketch. Hi. Hi. Can I help you? Yes, uh, Mr. Leonard, I'm with the U.S. Census Bureau. We sent you a census form, but you failed to return it to us. My mail is piled up like crazy. Yeah. Well, I just need to uh, fill out this census form with you. Great. Okay. Um, how many people live in this residence? Oh, boy. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm bad with numbers. Maybe 80. <laughs> 80 people live in this apartment? Seems high, doesn't it? Not 80. How about four? I don't know. I'm so bad at guesstimating. Well, why don't you just take your time and count? Okay. There's me, my wife, our plants. We have some candy bars. Well, you know, we don't count candy bars or plants. Yeah. Then there's... Just the two of us. <laughs> Boy, I really overshot it with the 80, didn't I? It's Tim Meadows as the census taker. So, yeah, I mean, there's that aspect of it. I mean, probably going out to some of these neighborhoods where people are hard to count uh, is pretty complicated and, and in fact, uh, exotic at times. But here's the other thing about the census. I think people, I think we think it's boring because it's essentially supposedly cut and dried. These are very basic kinds of questions. People answer them. It becomes part of this master data big bank, the most reliable uh, and complete mailing list in America. That doesn't sound very exciting. Except that if it doesn't get right, 
get done right. It, it changes the complexion of, of American government and the direction of resources. And it's pretty easy not to get it right. And there are certain people who benefit and certain people who lose if it is not done right. So uh, we're talking to a series of guests today about exactly how it might be that it might not get done right. Um, here is the first one. We're talking now to Justin Elliott, reporter for ProPublica. He recently wrote a piece for ProPublica on the Department of Justice push to add a question on citizenship to the 2020 census. First of all, Justin, welcome to our show. Thank you. So uh, maybe we need to begin at the beginning. The census is something that happens every 10 years on the 10th year. So the last time we did it was 2010. Uh, Next time will be 2020. Uh, 2018 is when a lot of decisions about what the census is going to look like start to get made. And it surfaced through you, I believe. It hadn't been widely reported or widely announced that the Justice Department was asking for something that really hadn't been done, I think, since 1950, right? Tell us about that. Sure. So as you say, um, there's a census of the entire country every 10 years, and they're trying to get an accurate count of everyone living in the country. And it's used for deciding uh, how many congressional seats each state gets. And also, there's many hundreds, actually, of billions of dollars worth of federal spending programs that are connected to the census count. So the count really matters a lot, first of all. Now, the questions asked on the census change a little bit every 10 years. What the Trump Justice Department is now proposing is that they add a question asking people essentially whether they're citizens. You're correct, this hasn't been included since 1950 when the census was much longer. And it's very controversial because people who are experts on the census and and keep track of it closely worry that if you start asking questions about citizenship, you're going to drive the response rate down among immigrants, uh, legal or or undocumented, and generally going to create sort of a, a climate of fear. And that's going to result in an inaccurate count. That's the fear. Right. So as you alluded to, getting an accurate count is really important. There's 132 programs that use the data. Uh, it gets used to allocate $675 billion in funds for all kinds of programs like SNAP and Medicare, Medicare Part B and highway planning. And all of these things are uh, used by all kinds of people, uh, not just citizens of the United States. So its first and foremost purpose, probably top of the line, is just how many people are there and where do they live? But let me play devil's advocate for a second. Would it be such a crazy idea to want to know, you know, where, where do the citizens live and how many, how many are there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a crazy idea at all, actually. And I don't think most people sort of on either side of, of this particular issue think would make that argument. It turns out that the government actually already collects that information in a, a separate survey called the American Community Survey, which is also conducted by the Census Bureau. It's known as the ACS. It's a rolling survey that goes to, I believe, one out of every 38 households every year. So they're collecting essentially a a very large statistical sample. And I actually just happened to get it myself um, and filled it out. And it's a very long form asking you a lot of detailed questions about your finances, uh, where you live, um, your citizenship status, where you're from. And they use the data they get through that survey sort of in aggregate um, as a sample to have data about all these things, including citizenship. Now, the American Community Survey data 
is not used for the uh, apportionment of, of congressional seats. That's only the census that happens every 10 years, which is considered in many ways more important. It's much shorter. There's only a handful of questions, particularly in the current climate where, uh, you know, you have a president who's been very vocal in his sort of anti-immigrant views. There's already fear that a lot of people are just not going to trust the federal government enough to fill out these the, the census at all. And that means sort of two things. The first thing is that you might not count everyone. You're going to have an inaccurate count, and that's going to have all these ripple effects in terms of federal spending and also potentially Congress. But the other thing is, is that it actually just drives up the cost. The census spends a huge amount of money going back to people, to households that, that haven't filled it out. At a certain point, they'll actually send people to your door to try to get you to fill it out because they care so much about the accuracy of the count. So every anything that you do that would sort of drive down the, the initial response rate could make the whole enterprise more expensive. Right. And this census looks like it's kind of cash strapped. I believe it's being funded at the 2010 levels with absolutely no additional funding last time I knew anyway. It seems to me, though, as you are suggesting that, you know, so much of this revolves around running your thumb down kind of the knife's edge of how the how the government is perceived. So let's take uh, let's take a different group of people. Uh, there was um, a, a controversy a little while ago because it seemed like there might be um, an LGBTQ and gender identity question on the census. Then it got it was just showed up on some trial form or something. Then it got pulled off. And, and so that community they want to be counted. They want better numbers uh, about who they are and where they are so, so that they're better represented, so that they're better, their presence is better understood. They mostly think that good things can come from this. But not everybody feels that way. And I gather, even doing the, the American Community Survey that you mentioned, that already anecdotally they're kind of running into more resistance. You're right that there is this fascinating paradox where there are certain groups that have pushed for more specific questions. I, I believe there, there was also an issue about whether it's going to include a, a Middle Eastern and North African option, which I, I believe they've now nixed, mm -hmm. which some people in that community actually wanted. It can sort of cut both ways. One thing that's important for anyone listening to know is that the law says that information collected by the census cannot be used for anything except for getting census data. It's kept confidential, I believe, for 70 years. Um, that is the, the current law. My, my sort of personal view after delving into this is that it's a good idea for everyone to fill it out because it's going to be linked to things like the power of your geographic community in Congress and, and federal federal spending. That said, if you're an immigrant, it doesn't it strikes me as unreasonable that, that if this question is asked, um, you might take a pass on filling it out. And also, as, as you said, the census has actually released a report within the last year describing reaction to survey takers who reported that there is much more fear, much more skepticism, particularly among immigrant communities. Uh, and that was explicitly connected by, by many of these people to the political climate. Yeah, I think people should take that to heart. But if you can change the rules on confidential FISA court applications and at the drop of a hat suddenly declassify a lot of material that everybody thought was classified, you know, it, it doesn't build confidence in the notion that uh, we're making rules that we're going to stick to. So, I mean, you sort of got that. And, and 
And then, yeah, you've got, I mean, as we're talking, where I live, there's a big story in the newspaper today about a Chinese family who's been living in the, Amer- in the United States, in Connecticut, since 1999. The, they have kids who are 5 and 15 now. I think the parents are being deported back to China, back to the North Korean border. The father already has a GPS unit clapped onto his ankle. These are law-abiding citizens who run a nail salon, are very well thought of in their community. Uh, the community's freaking out over this. But, you know, pe- people hear stories like this, uh, and I'm not sure that that 70-year pledge ha- has as powerful a ring as the notion of there are people snooping around right now who are out to get me. Uh, and I think a lot of people feel that way. Sure. And, 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 and the fear is that the Trump administration, by proposing this question, is trying to sort of in, inflame that. Uh, now, it's important to say that the letter that I reported on, which was from the Justice Department to the Census Bureau, the Census Bureau is actually part of the Commerce Department, claims that they want more citizenship data in order to better enforce the voting rights laws. Now, there have been allies of the Trump administration uh Chris Kobach, who have publicly argued that we should ask the citizenship question because they believe that things like uh, apportionment of of House seats, how how many members of Congress a particular state gets, should be based on citizens rather than residents. And the, the sort of important historical context on that is that the Constitution says that the census counts everyone in the country. It doesn't say that it counts only citizens. So that would include uh, legal permanent residents, and it would also include undocumented immigrants. We really don't know who in the Trump administration is sort of driving this. You know, in terms of the process, it's technically the decision of the Secretary of Commerce, who is currently Wilbur Ross, um, what, what the questions are, and they have to report them to Congress by this April 1st, actually. Right. And and presumably there'll be some room for argumentation around those. Uh, All the same. uh, I'm not feeling any better about any of this. But I want to say, first of all, Justin Elliott, thank you for the reporting you do and the reporting you've done on this. And thanks to ProPublica in general. Uh, Justin Elliott is a reporter for ProPublica, recently wrote this piece uh, on the Department of Justice push to add this question about citizenship to the census. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks very much. There was a piece of a song just got a job. We're working for the census. You mean Will Hayes? No, the census, the census. We get four cents a name for taking the census. Where are we going to get the census? Yeah, where are we going to get them? I'll take care of that. Now spread out. The more people we see, the more money we make. A customer. What a customer. Come on. (laughs) Pardon me. What's your name? And your address. What's more important, what's your phone number? All right. Uh, actually, my favorite part of that is when Mo, that's the Three Stooges, in case you don't know, uh, but is when Mo goes up to somebody's house and the guy comes to the door and as a census taker, Mo goes, excuse me, sir, are you married or happy? Uh, anyway, uh, I think a more relevant um, 
part uh, of popular culture today uh, might be a recent episode of Master of None, that's the Aziz Ansari series, where they follow a cab driver back to his uh, apartment, to where he lives in New York. And, and it turns out, I think there are three other, uh, he's an African immigrant, there's three other African immigrants uh, living with him. Uh, there are essentially four households inside that one apartment. And so much about the census uh, involves finding something like that. Uh, they're probably not going to get or maybe fill out uh, the forms that come in the mail. Uh, they don't have a landline, so contacting them by by phone and kind of pinning them to that address is going to be difficult. Somebody's going to have to go there uh, if, in fact, it is the desire of the federal govern- government to make sure that we know that they live there. Uh, and that's the big if. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this now with Ari Berman, senior reporter at Mother Jones and uh, the author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in Amer- America. Welcome to our conversation, Ari Berman. Hey, Colin. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, let's start with the question of whether or not it's in everybody's interest to make sure that everybody or as close to everybody as possible gets counted. There's a politics to this, right? We know even from leaked memorandums from from the past from Republican national chairman that that an undercount of certain people, the people most likely to be most likely to be undercounted, really can favor one side over the other. I mean, is that fair to say? It is fair to say. I mean, you'd like to think that the census would be apolitical in the sense that it's constitutionally mandated to accurately count every person in America. It's one of the oldest things that the federal government does, and it's really the only thing in America that everyone is supposed to participate in. But there is a political dimension here, and if you look, every single time they do the census, every 10 years, there is an undercount. And that undercount is more likely to include uh, people of color, minorities, immigrants, lower income people, people who by and large are more likely to favor Democratic candidates if they vote than Republican candidates. And that undercount has been getting smaller and smaller with each census as the census becomes more precise. But it's also true that in the 2010 census, which is the most accurate census in American history, 1.5 million minorities were undercounted, according to the census' own estimates. And there's a big fear that that undercount could be a lot bigger under Donald Trump, uh, both because the census is underfunded, because uh, there is more distrust of the federal government, because there may actually be decisions made by the Trump administration in the census period to produce an undercount. And right now, Republicans control everything. They control the White House, they control the Congress, and they control state governments across the country. And so they like the status quo as it is. And they don't want to do anything that could lead to them losing power and a more accurate census, which then forms the basis for redistricting and a whole host of resources, could shift the power dynamics in more of a Democratic favor if there's an accurate count. Right. We should say that um, after uh, a census, uh, there's a, this post-enumeration survey where they try to figure out whether they did it right, or whether they did it right or not. So, yeah. so right now, so that's how you know whether there was an undercount or how big the undercount was. So right now, there's a lot of fear and concern in a lot of places, and and it, it as you say, derives from um, things that might happen simply because of a lack of funding, uh, and also things that might happen because of actually actual intention on certain people's parts. But let's start with lack of funding. So we already know that a lot of people, particularly people in cities, in fact, 161 mayors uh, have signed on to a letter urging the Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross, to just address the concerns about adequate funding uh, and management uh, of the census, because the cities, 
I think most of us assume, are the places that are the most difficult to count and therefore the places where the undercount might be the worst? Yeah, exactly. So to reach out to the people that don't respond to the census form requires resources. It requires going out and knocking on those doors in what is called hard-to-count areas, in areas with a lot of immigrants, in areas with a lot of people of color, in areas that are poor. If you start cutting back on the census's budget, first off, you have less money to let people know about the census. Then you have less money to send people uh, out and knock on those doors. And then now what the census is doing is they're moving it to try to be as digital as possible. Well, those hard-to-count communities are less likely to be online, uh, less likely to have high-speed internet on their phones. And so all of those things compound the problem of the undercount that already exists. And, and there's a concern that the federal government right now is not being run well writ large when it comes to the Trump administration. And there's a fear that the Census Bureau, even if it's well-intentioned, won't have the resources to do the job, particularly at a time when there's a lot of distrust of the federal government, and particularly a lot of distrust of the federal government among the very people that are at the largest risk of not being counted. Right. And so then there are these other signals that are being sent that suggest that there might be uh, almost a, a content or what that letter from the mayor's called untested questions that threaten to undermine census preparation and accuracy. So we already talked a little bit with Justin Smith about that citizenship question, which would obviously, you know, unsettle uh, and, and maybe scare off uh, a certain portion of people who otherwise need to be counted. Uh, there are other things. Uh, the Secretary of State of Massachusetts is concerned about that, but also concerned about a way in which the college population is going to be counted, and that count is going to go into the summer when the college population goes uh, away to a certain degree from some of their uh, high-density Massachusetts locations. I mean, there are ways in which you can kind of change procedure that subtly would affect who gets counted. Yeah, and I think the citizenship question is the biggest way that you would try to sabotage the census, because if there's a question about U.S. citizenship on the census, and it's done at the same time that Donald Trump is not only president, but running for re-election in 2020, presumably with a very anti-immigrant message, uh, then that's going to scare a lot of people away from returning the form. Uh, not just non-citizens, but immigrants uh, who are here that may have relatives who are non-citizens, relatives who are undocumented, who may be citizens themselves, but feel like their citizenship could be revoked. I've been talking to a lot of immigrant communities in recent days, and there's a tremendous amount of fear of the federal government. And when I asked them if they would respond to the census, if, if it had a question about citizenship on it, immigrant groups across the board told me no, they would not respond to the census. So that would mean that the census is, number one, not accurate, which is a constitutionally mandated activity. And number two, it would mean that the census is not fair, meaning that areas with a lot of immigrants would get fewer resources, less representation, and that would be a disaster in terms of the census. So I think this question about citizenship is not a good faith effort by the Census Bureau to try to figure out who is and isn't here. It's an attempt to try to sabotage the entire process because the census clearly says you're supposed to count every person in America, not every citizen in America. The census is the only thing in America that's supposed to count every person here accurately. So there are other indications, and maybe the biggest one of them that we haven't talked about so far. So um, the 
first of all, the, uh, the prior overall director of the census, uh, John Thompson, stepped down last year. Uh, we don't necessarily exactly know why that might be, but it may have had something to do with the fact that uh, the census seemed to be getting underfunded. He might not have the resources to do what he wants to do. I believe that's still being filled on kind of an interim basis by a career civil servant. Meanwhile, the deputy job uh, is being dangled at, or perhaps this person is being dangled at us, a guy named Thomas Brunel. Tell us about Thomas Brunel. So Thomas Brunel is a professor of political science at the University of Texas. And what is so interesting about him is that, as you mentioned, there's no permanent director of the census. And so the deputy director of the census is basically the guy who's in charge of running the 2020 census. And that person is usually a nonpartisan career civil servant. Well, Thomas Brunel is a Republican who has defended Republican redistricting efforts in more than a dozen states. He's been hired by Republican lawmakers to defend redistricting maps that were drawn by Republicans to boost Republican candidates. And he's done so in states like North Carolina, Alabama, and Virginia, where the courts have actually struck down these maps as either racial or partisan gerrymandering. So Brunel is on one side of an incredibly difficult fight right now. That Every single day we read about a new ruling in the courts about gerrymandering, and the census becomes the basis for for the redistricting process that occurs. So there's an inherent conflict of interest, first off, that he's a Republican redistricting expert when the census forms the basis for redistricting. Then there's just the fact that the deputy director of the Census Bureau is supposed to run the entire census, which is a massive undertaking. And Brunel, as a political science professor, has no history in government. He has no prior experience running anything in government, let alone something like the census, which is one of the most complicated things we do in the whole federal government, which costs $12 billion dollars in 2010. So just a massive undertaking. So I think there's fear that, number one, Brunel has a political background that's way at odds with the supposed nonpartisan nature of the census. And number two, he doesn't have the experience to do this job, even if he wanted to do it well. And so I think he hasn't been he hasn't been named yet. There's been a big delay in terms of when he's supposed to take this job. But if he is named deputy director of the Census Bureau, it will, I think, send the clearest signal yet what the Trump administration intends to do with the census. Right. And when well, let's go back and say that um, even more than you, you've been, I think, more than fair in your characterization. Uh, of Thomas Brunel so far, but I think you haven't even used the word gerrymandering yet, but he basically is somebody who's almost a declared proponent of gerrymandering. He has a book uh, whose subtitle is is Why Competitive Elections Are Bad for America. Uh, I mean, this isn't somebody who has maybe a slight lean in a certain direction. This is a guy who really has a declared interest over and over again in, in doing these things in a pretty ideologically tilted way. Yeah, well, I mean, in addition to all of his work on behalf of Republican redistricting efforts, Brunel wrote this 2008 book, uh, Redistricting Representation, Why Competitive Elections Are Bad for America, that makes a very provocative argument, which basically says that we should have gerrymandering everywhere, that districts should either be ultra-red or ultra-blue, because that offers better representation for voters than competitive districts. And that kind of goes against all of the political science literature that says competitive districts give voters more incentive to participate, There's more turnover. Politicians become less entrenched, so they're more beholden to the electorate. And also, I mean, let's remember, he's testifying for Republicans in all of these redistricting cases, so he's 
while he says he wants ultra-red or ultra-blue districts, he's really advocating for as many red districts as possible. So even within the field of political science, he's out of step in terms of his views. Then you take the fact that he's been involved in so many Republican gerrymandering efforts, and the census data forms the basis for redistricting, which is going to be an absolutely enormous fight in 2020 when the new redistricting data comes out. And so there's just an inherent conflict of interest here with the fact that he has taken a position in something, in in a very entrenched position, in something that's supposed to form the basis for that very act. And so I just don't see how anyone's going to believe that he can do his job impartially if he gets this job. Right. And we should also say, I mean, people may recall that the last election was decided on the Electoral College vote rather than the popular vote. Obviously, the composition of the Electoral College can be affected by the census count. Uh, so, I mean, that's sort of another big way uh, that, that it can turn up. So, all right, yeah, let's talk a little bit about pushback. So one thing that we might anticipate uh, if Brunel actually goes forward as the nominee for this, I would assume would be pushback from a number of different communities, probably starting with the civil rights community. I mean, if in fact there seems to be a danger that voters of color and in particular would be undercounted, uh, I would expect, is, it, is there apt to be some kind of organized hue and cry? Yes, there's a tremendous amount of concern among civil rights advocates about the census right now. It's two years away, so no one's really thinking about it, but I can't stress enough just how big of a deal the census is. A $600 billion in federal funding gets gets allocated because of it. It forms the basis for redistricting. It forms the basis for uh, all of the votes in the Electoral College. So if this is done wrong, if this is done in an accurate way, if this is done in a fair way, it affects literally every segment of society, every single state, uh, virtually every major government program is affected. All of the data that businesses, that universities, et cetera, et cetera, use is based on the census. So it's really one of the most important things that we do in America. And what's happening to it under the Trump administration, I think, uh, is a national tragedy. And as we get closer to the census, there's going to be more and more attention on it. But the decisions are being made right now. The decisions are being made right now in terms of who's going to lead the census, what it's going to look like, and who's going to be counted. So you can't, like, wake up in April 2020 and say, like, what's happening with the census? Like, right now is when all of this stuff is being put in motion. So there's a lot of uh, internal conversations about it, and there's a lot of external conversations that are starting about it. And it's great that that people like you are giving this more coverage because it needs more coverage now. So talking about uh, Brunel's uh, work on behalf of the way districts were drawn in North Carolina, as you said, that was struck down by uh, a three-judge federal court. However, the Supreme Court has failed to grant an expedited review of that case. It looks like maybe the Supreme Court wants to look at all these gerrymandering and redistricting-related cases together. I think they've got a couple of them ahead of North Carolina in the pipeline. But beyond that, Ari, I mean, the census is specifically mentioned in the Constitution. So, I mean, it seems as though another possible thing that could happen would be a challenge to the way the census itself is conducted, a challenge in the federal course. I don't know. Maybe that's pretty common. Maybe there have been other challenges. I don't even know. But that would seem to be a likely way to go if people felt as though the census weren't being done on the up and up. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're almost certainly going to see litigation. There has been litigation in the past. One thing that happened in the run-up to the 2000 census is that because there was this persistent undercount of minority voters, the Clinton administration wanted to use statistical sampling to get a more accurate census count. So if you miss 1.5 million minority voters, you can use sampling to try to correct that, and that would make for a more accurate count. And Republicans went crazy about this idea. Newt Gingrich actually sued the Census Bureau and the Clinton administration. This went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled that, that sampling couldn't be used for purposes of reapportionment, um, meaning that you really couldn't correct the undercount when it comes to the allocation of seats. And so that's one reason why this undercount persists to this day, because if the census isn't accurate, there's nothing you can do to correct it. And I think if, if something happens in the opposite direction, if the Trump administration is deliberately doing things to try to sabotage the census, then civil rights groups are going to try to look for some legal recourse because this is, as you say, a constitutionally mandated act. It says very clearly that census is supposed to accurately count every person in America. And if that doesn't happen, then people are going to try to use the Constitution as a recourse to force an accurate count. Um, we have to stop here because we are constitutionally mandated uh, to do a pledge break uh, what, uh, with being public radio and all. But thanks so much to Ari Berman, senior reporter at Mother Jones and the author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Now, some very nice people. I'm assuming they're nice people. I don't even know exactly who's there, are going to ask you to support this radio station and this kind of programming. If, in fact, the story that we're telling you today about the census is A, a story you hadn't heard in quite that way before, and B, a matter of considerable importance to you, then, you know, it really is kind of a time when journalism of this kind needs a special amount of loving care and watering and fertilizing. All of that takes place in the form of your financial support for this station. So when they ask you, and particularly if you like our show, then make your pledge during our show because we get a little extra check next to our names in the grade book for that. So anyway, here, here they come. Be generous. So ordinarily at this point in the show, Kion Wolf comes on and mentions all the what you might call credits, you know, people who have aided, abetted, or otherwise stood still for what we're getting up to on this show. But Kion Wolf is off today, so we got a problem right there. Uh, so it's time, I will now attempt to say who did what. Uh, so this show, I should first of all to say that this is uh, one of the early appearances of a brand new intern. We have her here. Her name is Garnet McLaughlin. I just screwed it up. Garnet McLaughlin. And I feel like that sounds like somebody, like Garnet McLaughlin. Like you'd go see the new Garnet McLaughlin movie or something like that. It sounds like somebody. Uh, so, I mean, I realize everybody's name theoretically sounds like somebody. Uh, anyway, uh, the show today was produced by Betsy Kaplan. Uh, because Kyan Wolf is not here, running the board, making the show sound good, is Jonathan McPants. Uh, I don't know what Amanda Fish did. I think Amanda Fish does not respond to census forms. Uh, the part of Bill Curry was played by Morgan Freeman. And tomorrow we are going to feature on the show uh, this, I think, this kind of amazing evening that we had, uh, what, about a week ago now, uh, it was an evening of talking about jazz with jazz musicians, but having them play on stage certain 
jazz songs and little elements of jazz songs that kind of explain what's going on in jazz. And I think if you're the kind of person who feels very defeated by the question of what's going on in jazz, you're really going to like this show. It was kind of a magical evening. Anyway, that's uh, coming up tomorrow. Right now, we're finishing up our census show. We want to talk a little bit about the history of the census. We've been talking an awful lot about the present and future of the census. Joining us now is Margot Anderson, professor of history and urban studies at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and the author of The American Census, A Social History. Uh, Margot Anderson, welcome to our conversation. Thank you very much. So we've been talking an awful lot uh, over the last hour or so uh, about ways in which the the census can be handled in 2020 in such Mm -hmm. a way as to uh, materially affect the political climate. But I'm guessing this isn't really the first time this has come up. The census has so much power to affect the way districts are drawn, the way resources are allocated, the way electoral votes are allocated. There must have been some monkey shines going on in the past uh, with the census. Tell us about that. Okay, first of all, as your previous uh, guests have said, this is an old instrument. I mean, we've been doing the census uh, since 1790. So there's a very long and um, uh, interesting history to all of this. Um, The second thing is that, of course, the census um, of the 18th century, um, which was a much smaller affair, mostly because there were very few people. There were only 3.9 million Americans at that point. Now there's you know, uh, 320, 330 million Americans, uh, has managed to grow with the country. So that's the first thing. And and although there have been controversies, as your um, uh, guests have said, the the big picture and is that things have um, uh, gone pretty well. We've managed to do the census, and I think the conversation we're having now about 2020 has been, um, we could find precursors of it before, because every 10 years we have to remember how we did it the last time and decide what new and different things we want to do this time and work that out in a very public and often pretty complicated uh, political, technical, demographic story. And that's where we are in 2018. My sense is we will still be in, you know, uh, running up for the next year and a half. So on one level, I'm very happy to have this conversation happening at all, and I hope your listeners will begin to pay attention. Right. So, Margot Anderson, yeah. uh, you know, 100 years is a nice round number. So right. if we set the uh, Wayback Machine for the 1920 census, what mm-hmm. would we find? Okay. In 1920, uh, again, uh, um, as your other guests have indicated, whatever the the sort of hot political issues are on the stage at any particular time tend to get tangled up in the in the census process so what was going on in 1920 um when uh, as the census was taken was um the aftermath of the american participation in world war 1 uh a it was also a period of very very rapid immigration it was also a period of very rapid urbanization and industrialization so that the 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 lead up and the planning to the census wasn't terribly controversial um in fact it got dwarfed in the news by obviously the war news at that time but when the results came out at the end of 1920 um there was um, a great deal of consternation among the parts of the country and the political um uh and public officials who realized oh my goodness we are going to lose political power 
because the 1920 census is the first census where the United States tipped from being fundamentally a rural nation to an urban nation. And that was going to show big time in, uh, in the shift in, in uh, seats in Congress. Um, the other thing is, up until 1920, not only did, Congre- not only did we reapportion um, every decade, uh, Congress actually sat and wrote the apportionment law and, and haggled on the floor of the House and the Senate how many seats there were to be in the House of Representatives. That was not fixed at the time what kind of mathematical formula to use at at the time. They kept changing that over the 19th century. And so you put all, all this together in the 1920s, and what ultimately happened is that Congress found itself unable to pass a reapportionment law for 10 years. And so Congress was not reapportioned after the 1920 census. Um, in um, By 1928, of course, the president, since the Electoral College is also uh, allocated on the basis of the uh, uh, House and Senate apportionments, it was the um, members of Congress and the public realized that, oh my goodness, some person could win the popular vote and then and lose the electoral vote. So in, in and Herbert Hoover, I mean, this is all Republicans, by the way, this, the whole period is Republican dominance. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 1929, Herbert Hoover um, uh, as president, one of the first things he does is brings Congress back into special session to pass a prospective uh, census and apportionment law for the 1930 census. So yeah. uh, you know, but I just we're going to run out of time yeah. pretty quickly here. I do want to say so. I mean, the, the, so that that in 1920, it's almost sort of a case mm-hmm. of Congress not liking the results of the census enough mm-hmm. to be able to apply them the way they're supposed to be pl- mm-hmm. applied. But typically, what happens since then, lots of times, is that people are undercounted, and they tend to be black or African American people, uh, Latino people, Native American people. Are there? I mean, if this was something else, there'd be protests. Is it just the case that people don't understand the census? well enough to understand how serious a problem it is if 4.4% of black people don't get counted in 1990? Again, um, there were, as your previous guests have indicated, um, the, there have been, there's been litigation about the quality of the census going back 40 years. So every census since 1970, uh, either local municipalities or states, and, I, and so New York State, the city of Detroit, the state of California, have sued the uh, Commerce Department and the Census Bureau to either, before the census, use better counting um, methods, or after the census, use a uh, what is called a statistical adjustment mm. to improve the data. Hey, Margo Anderson, I'm yeah. really sorry. We we actually have run out of time here. I guess, you know, I'm thinking there should be a march on Washington about the census. But see, that's the problem. It even sounds kind of goofy when you say it. It's the census. Who's going to march on Washington about it? But you should. You should march on Washington. All right, I've planted that idea. I'm going to step away. We've got some people coming on to ask you to pledge to the station. I hope you'll do that. Really important that you do that during the interval of this show. Thanks so much, by the way, to Margo Anderson. I wish we had more time. Professor of History and Urban Studies at the University of Wisconsin. Author at Milwaukee. And author of The American Census of Social History.